Hi, and welcome to the podcast channel, podcastmybusiness.com.au. And today we have Darren from coreintegrity.com.au. Hi, Darren. How are you doing? G'day, Tony. I'm doing pretty good in, in the current times, to be honest. Yeah. Whereabouts are you located? So we're located in Sydney, uh, okay. in the yeah. nice little suburb of Crow's Nest uh, on the north side, and yeah. uh, but we, we operate across the whole country. Okay, that's fine. Look, in these times, I'm in Sydney as well. I'm just down the road from you, so there you go. So um, we can get out and about. We feel sorry for our Melbourneian brothers and sisters, but hey, you know, what can you do? All right, cool. So what, what I wanted to cover on, I mean, we've had a couple of interviews in relation to cybersecurity. We've had... Um, one covering the core cybersecurity issues, another one we just had uh, as well with training for cybersecurity. But we also need to cover off on the more f- physical side of security and cybersecurity, especially as um, so many people are obviously working from home at the moment, and there's huge risks with doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um a lot of focus goes on to cybersecurity in terms of the technology itself, um, but the stuff that we get involved in and what we see is, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and often that is your people in terms of what they do, whether they follow the policies and the procedures and, and whether they're up to speed on what they should and should be doing. And importantly, you know, how the organisation actually then investigates and responds to a cybersecurity issue. Mm. And that's where they, I guess they ask you to come in and... Um... Is that the area of workplace investigation services and the like? Yeah, it is. So we, we do a range of workplace investigations. Um, so all, all the common stuff that you see around, you know, fraud and corruption and bullying and harassment. But increasingly, we're getting called upon to um, use our network of experts to do um, cyber response uh, in terms of investigation. So that's examining material and, and, and looking through laptops and different things to try and understand what's taken place. Um, and the reason we get brought in quite often is because of our strong fraud background. So um, looking at um, small to medium enterprises that have had an email compromise, uh, which is known as a BEC, business email compromise, and having a look at how that's taken place and whether the the bad actors are still sitting in their network or on their computers. And what you often see, Tony, is that they sit in the, uh, the environment or on the laptop for a period of months. They, they mimic the employee's behavior. And at the right time, they strike by um, writing a fake email and changing an invoice and then asking for payment details to go to a new account. And that's how most small, medium enterprises are losing money these days with uh, business email compromises. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just touch on your background with frauds and scams with the New South Wales Police and also the Commonwealth Bank. Um, so two pretty big organisations that um, would have large teams to help to manage all of that. Yeah, they do. You're, you're spot on there, particularly uh, Commonwealth Bank, you know, massive uh, investigation teams as well as fraud teams. Um, but unfortunately, you know, for, for most businesses today, um, they're, they're quite stretched thin, particularly with COVID and they're losing employees and trying to protect their revenues. Um, but they're also more susceptible than ever, as you mentioned, with the remote working, uh, people working from home, um, and it's much easier to target those businesses and they just don't have the resources in terms of financial capacity or the capability to respond to these things properly. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting, the cybersecurity can mean a whole range of things and Sure, hacking and bad actors and, and what have you is one way, but also another way is uh, employees working from home um, copying and taking information from your business database, such as customer data and so on, and um, purloining a copy of that and leaving and going somewhere else. 
Yeah, that's a really uh, that's a really good point. Actually, we, we see a lot of what we're calling you know confidentiality breaches. So employees that are breaching the terms of their employment agreement um, by stealing confidential information. And you make a really good point. If you're working at home and you don't have the right security settings, uh, it's very easy to be able to work on a bring your own device, so like an iPad, um, and save that material to your local machine. Uh, and then you've now got custody of it forever. You you go to leave the organisation, hand back the laptop. No one, no one's any the wiser. But next thing you know, you've got a list of the customers, or you've got the strategic um, plan of the business, and you can then use that to your own advantage. And, we, and we're seeing a bit of that. Right. So there you go. So that that is, I guess, fraud as well. Um, so, geez, I guess you can't get into any techniques too much. But is that something that's fairly straightforward to investigate, or it takes a lot of time and effort to get to the bottom of that? <laughs> Well, I mean, look, no two cases are the same uh, and everyone um, is different on its own merits. And, you know, I'm not a deep sort of cybersecurity expert in terms of the techie stuff, but what we bring to bear is the investigation methodology, you know, so that methodical approach and it sort of comes in two parts. Incident response for the business. So we, we provide a lot of initial incident response and advice to the executives of the business or the owner about this is what you've been exposed to, this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to consider. Um, that's a bit of project management and advice. And then the next part to your question is digging into the detail about what's actually happened. Um, and we use a, a team of people who are far smarter than me that come in and they aggregate that data, they sift through it, and they look at things like the, you know, Microsoft online environment, looking at credentials, looking at what other machines have been compromised, but also importantly, sifting through the data and being able to look for things uh, that might sit in that data to indicate that they've been compromised. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And what I like is this integrity advisory service is, is both being proactive. Um, again, people working from home. Um, so I can see that could mean that spot checks and so on and so forth check it, people are being compliant as well. Is that something that you would look at? Well, probably not spot checks, but, you know, we, we focus a lot on the integrity lifecycle, which you touched on, which is, you know, prevent, detect and respond, and importantly, out of all that, optimise, right? So, um, unfortunately, what we're seeing with a lot of organisations is they don't want to find the money to respond to, uh, to be preventative or proactive up front, and particularly in COVID, right? Like, they're just worrying about surviving, and we totally get that. But what invariably happens is when you have to respond to an issue, you've now got to find three or four times the money than you otherwise would have to find. So let's say it was going to cost you 10 grand to do some education and training or some proactive initiatives. Um, when you go to have a fraud event, it's often 40 grand, 200 grand, plus the time and effort to respond to that. So it's really hard to drill that message into smaller and medium enterprises that you've got to find some budget and some time to build your capability in a preventative way rather than just waiting for the issue to arise and then just find the money to respond. Okay, so what Absolutely, it is. So, what would be some tips that would help um, businesses to protect themselves? So, with, with people that are working from home, um, you know, we're, we're hearing about people feeling uh, less connected to the workplace. And, and look, I, I'm all for working from home. I think it's great that you can save time on your commute, spend more time with your family. But I think there's got to be that balance of keeping people connected. So, we're starting to see some of our bigger clients recognise that people are feeling disconnected, and they're now starting to resume some of the um, online or video conferencing training. So, we've got a lot of stuff booked in for the rest of the year where now big organisations going, okay, let's do some training with some people. Let's get them on Zoom calls or Teams calls and keep them connected. And so I think for a smaller business that doesn't have that kind of infrastructure, you've got to look for ways to keep those people connected. I mean, that's the first thing. Um, 
Second of all, you, you've got to obviously have the right systems and procedures in place to protect your business. Um, so even with our business, you know, we, we spent a bit of money earlier this year when COVID started to really strengthen our own IT security. We got uh, two different firms in to come in, um, look at all the endpoint uh, detection and encryption and different things on the laptops, um, build a VPN, um, increase our firewall. So there's a range of those sort of technical solutions that you can use experts for. Uh, and then the next part is, you know, respond when something happens. Um, it's very, very easy these days to to want to look at other things like protecting your revenue. But ultimately, if you let a little thing go, like a little fraud or a little bit of misconduct, mm-hmm. it grows and, it, and other people notice that and it erodes your culture. And ultimately, it's going to cost you more money to respond longer term. So what do you mean by a little bit of fraud? That's, that's a, a curious term. Well, we, we see people that, you know, take little bits of money, you know, whether it's through corporate credit card expenses. So they might buy things of a personal nature on a corporate credit card and they think they can get away with that. And the organization's faced with a choice of do they look into it, do they clamp down on it, or do they let it slide? Um, we see things around uh, conflicts of interest with external suppliers where they're taking gift and entertainment or they're giving favorable treatment to suppliers. Uh, in, in exchange, they might be getting some gift cards or some other things back. So there's little bits of fraud and corruption that happens. Um, and I call the corporate credit card stuff and those little things, it's like the gateway drug. It's just a little bit that they start off with um, and the next thing you know, they become hooked and it becomes a bigger event. Yeah, that's interesting because I know we've all um... – Okay, a lot of us, when we've been working for other businesses, have put in little expenses, claims, that little bit extra for lunch or dinner or what have you, or the extra person that's come along. And surely that's I not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have, Tony, but I haven't. <laughs> well, no, I haven't. Well, actually, I don't care. There's no, there's no consequence no, for no. me. It's my own business, so that's fine. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's not uncommon to add in little bits like that. And I was curious how you regard that as a, a gateway drug or a gateway fraud onto other things, because I guess that could be a little test on the systems themselves. Yeah, totally. Um, and look, you know, the thing with fraud that's really, really interesting is that most people that commit fraud, they're not what you call the average, you know, criminal that you could easily identify. So if you and I walk down the street and we see some people hanging around doing the wrong thing, it's really easy to sort of spot people that look a bit shady or might be affiliated with a, a bikey gang or whatever the case may be. Um, but when it comes to fraud, they're everyday people like you and I. And the reason that is, is because of the thing called the fraud triangle. Have you ever heard of the fraud triangle? I have not, but please let me know. All right. So the fraud triangle is an, is an old theory uh, invented by a gentleman called Donald Creasy back to the 60s and 70s, and it talks on the premise of a triangle where the first leg of the triangle, the first point, is that you've got to have some kind of pressure in your life, right? So you've got, you've got financial pressure, you're keeping up with the Joneses, you, you want to buy a new bike, you've overcommitted on your mortgage, you've got some kind of underlying pressure in your life. You've lost your job, your partner's lost a job. So with COVID, there's an increase in pressure in people's lives. The next point yep. is you've got the opportunity to commit fraud. So by virtue of your role at work, you've got access to using a corporate credit card or you've got access to appointing a supplier and getting a kickback. Um, you're working in a bank and you've got the ability to take some money out of someone's account, whatever the case may be. So you've now got two of the three legs, which is the pressure in your life and the opportunity to commit fraud. But unlike most people, we all don't commit fraud except for a very small few, and that's where they come to the third piece, which is they now rationalize their behavior. So what that means is they look at all the factors and they're going, right, 
I got I got screwed over for a promotion or I'm getting neglected at work or I'll pay it back. There's a range of factors that go through their mind where they think, okay, I can rationalize and justify my behavior. When those three things come together, that's when you see good people doing bad things in businesses. I've just written down what you just said so I can come back to that. So I can utilize that in our podcast. So that's fantastic. I like the idea of the pyramid of the fraud pyramid because fraud triangle. Yeah, it's a fraud triangle. Why did I say pyramid? Uh, look, it's the same. Come on. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Those things in the desert in Egypt are triangles, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> no. three, a pyramid's three dimensional, a triangle's two dimensional. Oh, don't get smart. All right. Okay. That's cool. All right. So that's good. Okay. So how would a business go about preventing that from occurring? Uh, so a number of ways. You've got to take a holistic approach, right? So rather than just putting your head in the sand and thinking that everything's going to be okay, you've got to accept sometimes people are going to do the wrong thing. Or organizations start out and they set out policies and procedures that govern or the expectations around behavior and conduct. So that's the first part. Um, then you've got to invest in education and training. And when we go in to do an investigation, we often see a bit of a disconnect between what the leadership's saying and what the culture's and the values say about the organization and what the boots on the ground are doing. And that's because people don't understand what the policies and procedures and expected behaviors are because it either hasn't been distributed or disseminated to them recently. Uh, they haven't invested in education and training. So I've got some clients that are really proactive in this space, big companies. Uh, one of them is a global manufacturer of motor vehicles. Every two years they call us and say, we want you to come and retrain our top 200 leaders on fraud and corruption awareness training. So they, they put their money where their mouth is and they invest in that. So that's a really big thing, taking the time to educate your people on what fraud is, what corruption is, and what we expect of you behavior-wise. And then right, you okay. get to responding. You, you see something that you don't expect. You see something that's uh, out of alignment with your values or the expected behaviors. You've got to take action. Um, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you expect, you know, that you set for everybody else. So if you turn a blind eye to the small corporate credit card fraud or a couple of lazy lunches and some kickback dollars from a supplier, then you're setting the course for what other people are going to do. Mm, okay. Yeah. So you've got to stay. Straight and narrow, and even the ATO um, as well looks at various things along those lines. So, um, yeah. The, the ATO has got having... a lot of data, a lot of data these mm -hmm. days, right? Everything's yeah. connected. Uh, uh, you go, go to your accountant to do your tax and go, oh, this is how much interest you earned. This yeah. is what you did last year. This is it. And you're going, you bastards. They know more than what I do. Uh, they've really improved their data collection and monitoring over the last, you know, five or ten years. Improved. I, mean, at, I don't know about that word. Improved. Well, uh. they have. I mean, I, I know some good people that work in government, and that they're doing their best mm. to try and really improve the way that they collect data and monitor. I mean, JobKeeper is a great example. When we started applying for yes. JobKeeper, they're, they're asking not only what is your revenue, but what do you expect it to be next next month. So when you see yep. Scott Morrison and Frydenberg talking about why they're scaling it back is because they've got the data. They've seen what we're posting as our revenue, what we've expected yep. our re revenue to be, and what reality is. Yep. And now they're able to go, you know yep. what? These, this group of organizations don't need JobKeeper anymore, but these ones do. Yeah, and look, I, I'm certainly in full agreement with that. Those in hospitality and travel-related definitely need more support. Um, those who are 
builders and landscapers and the like don't need the support. So, totally. Um, and yeah, and, we, and we can do that. Like, I'm, I'm happy to say, right, we, we had a slight dip at the start of the lockdown in back in March, whenever it was, and businesses rebounded because yep. people were having more fraud, more corruption, more integrity issues. Um, and I legitimately yep. don't fit into the future of JobKeeper, and nor should I. That's the way it goes. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm the same. So that's good. All right. No worries, Darren. Is there anything I should like to add? I think the big takeaway that I'd like to you know leave people with is you know don't ignore don't ignore little problems because they do fester and become big problems and you know if you're a leader of a small to medium business or a larger organisation um, you've got to appreciate that the little things that you do to invest in being a bit more proactive and preventative can actually pay off in the long term the people that come to work every day in your organisation most of us come to work to do a good job. And we want to contribute and be our best. And when we see other people misbehaving or doing the wrong thing and then getting away with it, what that does is it basically erodes the culture, but it makes us all think, well, why am I doing this? So as a leader, you know, you've got to see those things and go, right, I've got an obligation to take action on that um, and, and protect the 98% of us who are coming to work and doing a good job. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. The, what is that? Superannuation thing from little things, big things grow. That's <laughs> the same with broad. There you go. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your time, Darren. All right. Thanks, Tony. It was good to join you today. Cheers. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Darren.